And, um, and so he called me and he's like, Hey, would you come up? And, and I thought, Oh, it's the Sunday before Thanksgiving week, which for a teacher, that means I'm on break. I'm footloose and fancy free. So I really didn't want to preach. I hope you're not offended. I didn't want to preach. But then he suckered me in because I said, well, are you in a preaching series? And he said, yes, we're in Exodus. And I was like, ooh, I just finished teaching uh, or preaching two sermons on Samson. Oh, Exodus. And then he goes, but for you, what I want you to do is I want you to teach Romans. That was a massive bait and switch. He reeled me in with Exodus. And then I was like, Romans 6, like you're even being specific? Romans 6, I don't know if you've read Romans lately. It's complicated. And I teach Romans to my high school students. And it's a semester long. How am I supposed to do Romans 6 in one sermon? So after taking a look at it, Uh, I decided on three verses. So if you have your Bibles with you today, we are in Romans chapter 6, and we are going to cover only verses 16, 17, and 18, but I highly recommend you read all of Romans. All right, so I'll let you get there. We're going to read it. I'm going to read it for you. Please follow along with me. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that Though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I don't know about you, but as a modern American Christian, the slavery metaphor doesn't really do it for me. Right? Because we're rugged individuals, we have our rights. We have our freedoms. I have the right to vote as I wish. I have, I have so many rights and privileges that the church in Rome could never have imagined. Never. And so Jim's been preaching on Exodus. And the whole thing about Exodus is that the Israelites were once slaves And then they were freed from that slavery. And then they spent 40 years wandering in a desert trying to figure out what it meant to be free. A couple thousand years later, we now have Paul, who is now sending a letter to the churches, the house churches in Rome. They would not have had the privilege yet of meeting as a large gathering So the small house churches of Rome, where in these house churches, there were three kinds of people from a legal standpoint. There would be the Roman citizen who had all the rights and privileges of the empire. They had so many privileges that it it would just be completely unfair for the other two populations. Um, The difference in power, authority, influence, and means that they had available to them. 
The second group of people were the freedmen. In other words, they weren't citizens. They weren't slaves. They were free men and women who had limited rights and privileges in the Roman Empire. And then also sitting in their house churches would be slaves, legal, physical slaves. That makes for an interesting church service, doesn't it? When Paul uses a slavery metaphor, and the citizen is like, oh, this must not apply to me. The freedman is like, I'm not a citizen, but I'm, at least I'm not that. And the poor slave is like, oh. Creates an interesting dynamic in a, a service. And so what Paul does is he starts with this metaphor of a legal slave, physical legal slave, and then he's going to flip it, and now he's going to talk about a new kind of slavery, spiritual slavery. And it's hard for us to track with that, but I'm, I, I hope to help you out with that. So let me give you some facts about slavery. Let's go all the way back to the Israelites in Exodus. So this is review. I listened to a few of the sermons, but I, don't, I didn't go back all the way. But, so this might be new information or just review. Hang in there with me. Um, but I want to remind you that the Israelites in Egypt, the Israelites were not enslaved because they were conquered. Most slaves in the ancient world came because they had been conquered, right? An invading army comes in, they conquer the land, they take the the people of that land, and then they sell those people into slavery. The Israelites were never sold into slavery. They were never conquered. The Israelites went to Egypt If you remember the story of Joseph and his brothers, Joseph was already in Egypt, surprise to the family, and and the the family, the the tribe of Judah, the family of Judah, they, they are trying to figure out how to sustain life during a famine, and so they ultimately make their way to Egypt. And while they're in Egypt, they don't just survive, they thrive and they flourish and they populate and they become quite wealthy. So they've been in Israel for approximately 200 years when a pharaoh looks at the Israelites and says, oh no, uh, what if they rebel? What if they revolt? They had to be a large enough group of people to be a threat. And it's at that point that the Pharaoh at that time begins their enslavement. Surprise. And it happened very quickly. And then after that, they were slaves for 430 years. Think about it this way. Our nation is not 430 years old. Think about this. They have been in Egypt for over 600 years. And their covenantal relationship with God was still in its infancy stages. They knew that Yahweh was the God of Isaac, Abraham, right? But what does that mean exactly? Because for 600 years, all they've been doing is been watching the Egyptians worship their pantheon of Egyptian gods. 
And the pantheon of Egyptian gods have really cool names. And the God of the Israelites has the name I am. It does not spark the imagination. God of thunder, all-powerful, mighty God of the sun. These are the Egyptian gods. Uh, Who should I say sent me, Moses asks God. And and God says, I am. Okay, you're, you're what? I am that I am. Elaborate. That's what I tell my students when they write paragraphs. Elaborate. I need some more details. And so they, when they are released from their slavery and they're, they're transitioning through the desert, this is a difficult time for them. Who is this God who has rescued us? We don't have a lot to go on. Now let's fast forward 2,000 years. Actually, yeah, 2,000 years or so, a couple thousand years. And now we have these Christians sitting in house churches in Rome in the middle of the Roman Empire. Slavery is still a thing. Man, this is something that as human beings we have got to get figured out. There are still slaves today. But during that time of the Roman Empire, slavery was a huge thing. So imagine sitting in a church where you have citizens who have brought their slave with them to the service, and now this slave, this master, are now brothers and sisters in Christ. It's complicated. So I'm going to give you a few facts about the Roman Empire. And I don't know if you guys watch TikTok videos, but there's a TikTok trend. I don't have a TikTok account. I'm very godly. I watch my TikTok through Instagram reels, okay, like most of us old people do. So do you know this trend about how often do you think about the Roman Empire? Have you guys heard about this trend? Am I alone? Okay. So some of you are like, what is this? Okay. So um, this is a trend. This trend was made for me. Okay. So uh, when this trend first started, I found out about it because, uh, because I do watch TikTok from Instagram. So I'm about two weeks late on trends. Okay. So my 17 year old son comes running up the stairs. He's like bouncing on his feet. He's like, mom, 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 how often do you think about the Roman empire? And I'm like, every day, bud, you know this every day. He's like, I know, I know, and he's filming me. He's like, I know, I know, Mom. And my husband is looking at me, and he's like, every day? That's excessive. Now, if I'm a high school Bible teacher who teaches the book of Acts, the book of Romans, the book of Galatians, the Pauline epistles, the letter of 1 Peter's, I am dealing with the Roman Empire all the time. I'm living, breathing Roman Empire. Okay? If you need some recommendations on good authors about the Roman Empire, I have those for you. Okay? You have to understand certain dynamics of the Roman Empire. I want to read a couple of facts for you. Scholars estimate about 10% of the Roman Empire's population, so that includes those three categories of people, citizens, freedmen, and slaves, 
Scholars estimate about 10% of the Roman Empire's population were slaves. 10%. In the first century, it's estimated that the Roman Empire population was about 50 million. And scholars believe that at this time, the slave population was between 10 and 20% due to certain conquered conquering wars that had happened. So that means that in a population of 50 million, five to 10 million people were enslaved. Does that not just blow your mind? Slaves came from a variety of places and races. Some even were highly educated. When we think of slavery, we often think of labor, labor, unfortunately, sexual slavery, and all of that was true back then as well. But what we don't maybe think about is that, is that slaves worked everywhere. They worked in private households, kind of the equivalent of your appliances. Someone's going to be doing the cooking. Someone's going to be doing the washing. Someone's going to be doing the Roomba. Someone's going to, do you know what I mean? In mines, and if you were a slave in a mine, you had a five-year lifespan, you were going to die. It was a death sentence. It was the worst form of slavery. And on farms for labor, like tractors and so forth, human tractors, they also worked uh, in, for city governments on engineering projects. Most, um, most engineers, fun fact, most engineers were slaves. Most teachers were slaves. Because what would happen is the Roman Empire would come in, they would conquer, and then they would look at the population that they just conquered and said, who's the best, the brightest, and the most good-looking? Kind of like us today, still. We don't change as human beings. Who's the best, the brightest, and the most good-looking? We're going to take them back with us. So they would pull the educated people out of their homeland and then take them back to... Rome and distribute these intelligent, educated, capable people to build the aqueducts, to build the Colosseum. So when we think of slaves, typically we think in terms of race, social economic status, lack of opportunity, but this is not the situation in the Roman Empire. So as a result, slaves were everywhere, including the church. So when Paul writes, don't you know, verse 16, that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey? He's stating the obvious. A slave had zero rights. The only thing they had in their control is, will I be an obedient slave or will I be a disobedient slave? If I obey, I live a long time, and I might even prosper. If I disobey, it's at least at a minimum torture and possibly death. The only power control that a slave had in the Roman Empire was what kind of slave were they going to be. And if you know your Roman history... There were several slave revolts. The, the, the Roman citizens were terrified that the slaves would revolt and take over. So they, they lived in this balance of, I need obedient slaves. I can't be too harsh with them, but I need a lot of productivity out of them, like machines. So they pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed. So when Paul is talking here 
using this slavery metaphor, he acknowledges that slaves have two choices, obedience that leads to life or disobedience that leads to death. And so he then uses this when he goes on to say, in spiritual slavery, because he's going to flip it, whether you are slaves to sin, spiritual slavery, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. He's using that same dilemma, but now he's doing it for a, in a spiritual context. And once again, this is hard for us to track with. I don't really feel like a slave. I don't I don't have a lot to go on with this idea of feeling like a slave. And, and if you, like me, are like, huh, slave to sin, okay, maybe I can see that with addictions, right? But if, if you are, like so many of my high school students are, um, they don't take sin seriously because, you know what, my students, and maybe you are this way too, my students have a... Uh, Britney Spears, oops, I did it again view of sin. And I'm so sorry that that song is now in your head. But it's the best way I can describe it, right? Oops, I did it again. And it's naughty and fun. Let me Snapchat that and send it to all my friends. Right? As if it's something out there that I can turn on or off, that I can choose to do or choose not to do. As opposed to what Genesis teaches us in the garden, as sin wrecks everything. We're so used to sin that we're like fish in water. How does it feel to be wet? I don't know, I'm a fish. How does it feel to be a sinner? I don't know, I'm a sinner. I don't know anything else. Have you ever thought of that? Right? So when Paul is talking here, he's going to look for some evidence. What's the evidence that you are no longer a slave to sin? What's the evidence that you are moving into your new identity with Christ? And this is where Romans and Exodus cross each other's paths. So I want to just read for you verse 17. Paul says, but thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have come to obey from your heart. Do we obey out of duty? do we obey the Lord from our heart? Because that's actually the one choice we have. Do we obey out of duty, out of coercion, out of fear? Or do I obey from the heart? I obey because I am in love with Jesus. So Paul acknowledges that they obey from the heart. He sees that as evidence in the churches in Rome that they truly are choosing Christ. 
And when it comes to following God, obedience is not forced. It is a matter of the heart. And we saw this playing out in Israel's exodus out of Egypt. They were once slaves. They were then set free from their earthly masters. But we see that it took them decades to accept their new freedom, their new identity as God's chosen people. The Exodus story teaches us that it takes time to shed our slave ways. It takes time. You guys, they didn't wander in the desert for 40 years because they didn't have Google Maps. They didn't get lost. I guess, where am I? Oh, that looks familiar. Sand. Right? No. They wandered in the desert because... They needed 40 years to reject their identity as slaves and understand that there are new new patterns, new ways of worship, new ways of being with the one true God, the great I am. But what the Exodus story also teaches us, which is really helpful for us as modern Christians and was certainly true for the Roman Christians, is that it takes trust, doesn't it, to follow the Lord? Jim last week talked about how sometimes God, it feels like he's yanking us around. We move forward, we move backwards, we move, well, what are you doing, God? I'm not sure this is right. I feel like I'm going backwards, not forwards. Imagine for the Israelites, 430 years they're going to have some trust issues. 430 years of silence from the God of their fathers. 430 years. It's going to take time for them to learn what it means to be in relationship with the great I am. They have to have new patterns, new ways of doing things. And we learn from reading the Exodus story that they need all the time that God will give them to figure this out because they keep moving forward. And then there's like, oh, no, something terrible is about to happen. Run, let's go back to Egypt. At least they fed us in Egypt. Trust takes time. Transformation takes time. But slowly, their sense of allegiance, of loyalty, becomes developed in them over the course of those 40 years. So when God says, hey, take some dudes, go check out the land of milk and honey, go conquer it, and they're like, all right, okay, we're just going to put our toe in that water and see, okay, we'll send a couple guys to check it out, right? And then the Jericho thing happens, and it's like, oh, maybe we can trust this God. And that is the same for us. So when Paul writes, you have come to obey from your heart, the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance He is recognizing that the Romans and us are slowly accepting and living out our new identity as Jesus followers. 
Notice that your sermon series is called A Way to Freedom, not the moment of freedom. It's a way, and the picture is a road. We're on a journey of freedom, a journey of understanding our identity as belonging to God, as followers of Jesus Christ. So when Paul uses that word allegiance, he is acknowledging that just like the Israelites, we are in a new covenant of love and loyalty with Christ. And it's going to take us some time to shed our slave ways. It's going to take us some time to break some old patterns of thinking, of believing, of behaving. Be patient as God is patient. Be patient as God is patient. As Christians, the moment that we say yes to Jesus, we begin our own exodus. We begin our own exodus out of our slavery to sin. But we don't land free to ourselves. Notice what is happening in verse 18, if you have it with you in front of you. It says, You have been set free from sin and be, have become free. Nope, nope, let's try that again. You have been set free from sin and have become your own. Nope, nope. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves. To righteousness. We're still slaves. This feels uncomfortable, doesn't it? I don't like that. I want to be like Frank Sinatra and do it my way. But here is the profound, difficult truth that takes a long time to believe, obey, and live out. And that is... That you are, not sel- you are not set free to go back to self-ownership. You are set free to go back to your creator. Because God wants what's best for you. And what's best for you is himself. Not you. We're terrible to ourselves. Just the things we think about ourselves, that, that right there is very illuminating. We are returned to our creator. So I have some challenges for you. First, I want you to understand that it takes time for our hearts and our patterns to change. So if you've been impatient with yourself, if you've been demoralized, discouraged, because you've got some patterns of sin in your life that you can't seem to shake... I'm going to tell you right now that though sin is terrible and awful, awful, God gets it. He sent his son to deal with it. Be patient. Stay in it to win it. Be patient as God is patient. And maybe, maybe you need some new patterns of obedience. 
the kind of obedience, the sacrificial obedience that Jesus modeled for us in the garden. When before the cross, he was like, Lord, if you could take this cup away from me. But I'm willing. I'll do the hard thing. So I just want to challenge you with two things. Is there evidence in your life of patterns of obedience to the Lord? What are you obeying? Because Paul says that you are slaves to what you obey. That is worth your time to have a little time alone with the Lord and let the Holy Spirit do some revelation in your life. You're not going to like it. You're going to curse my name. I'll never be invited back, but it's worth it. The second thing is I want to talk about allegiance, patterns of allegiance, loyalty, faithfulness. We sang that we're prone to wander. We are, aren't we? I've been following the Lord for a long time, and I'm prone to wander. And, and right now, right now, it is so difficult to be loyal to the Lord. It is so difficult to be loyal to the teachings of Jesus Christ because our world wants us to reject those teachings and believe and accept other things. This is a time where I'm seeing my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ display tremendous disloyalty to their Savior. It's incredible how a 2,000-year-old passage has so much to say to us today. Because here's the thing. Though you may be unfaithful, disloyal to the Lord, his faithfulness and his loyalty to you will never falter. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we're so thankful for your life, your death, and for your resurrection that you are in the freedom business together with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And as we look to a week celebrating Thanksgiving, may our hearts be full of gratitude for you have called us out of sin and into righteousness, into right standing with you. Teach us, Holy Spirit, how to believe that we truly are the beloved and that you truly want what's best for us. We pray these things in your name, Lord Jesus Christ, amen.